At the end of the day, though, unfortunately, a lot of folks likely won't realize how important backups are until they need them, right? And you're usually not in a very good situation at that point. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Let's move right into our main story today, which is about backups. Pretend for me for a minute that you run a small business, or, or don't pretend, maybe you do, and pretend for me again that you have heard, maybe, about a wave of cyber attacks in the past six months that have brought enormous corporations, corporations much larger than yours, much more staffed, much more deeply resourced. You've heard about cyber attacks that have brought those corporations to a standstill. These cyber attacks are ransomware, and their consequences seem limitless. Files encrypted, servers lost, data inaccessible, yes, okay, that, to the average business owner, that makes some instinctual sense. A cyber threat causing cyber harm. But then you hear of a grocery store shuttering its doors for days. You hear of an oil and gas pipeline shutting down, leading to a fuel shortage. Your kid's school day is canceled, not because of snow or, much more recently, ash, but because of ransomware? You think, well, what the hell defense do I have? And you look online for some protection, for some solution, and you do find promises. One security company, and this is real and I won't name them, tells people that they can, quote, get immune to ransomware. Other vendors provide ransomware prevention kits, ransomware protection guides, ransomware instant recovery tips. And every piece of literature that you come upon says the same thing. There is a cure, and it's called backups. Backups are the kind of thing that can sometimes sound like magic. A defense against the cyber threat of the day. But are backups easy to do? Because in June, the meat supplier JBS was hit by ransomware, and despite the company having backups in place, they still paid their attackers $11 million for a decryption key. Or remember just a couple of months ago when we spoke with Ski Kaczorowski, the systems administrator for the North Shore School District in Washington State. When responding to a ransomware attack against the district, he learned that, yes, the school had implemented backups, but the backups weren't backing up the right stuff. These stories make defenses like backups, in effect, feel kind of useless during a time of crisis. Now, are these mishaps the fault of backups, the fault of the software providing those backups, or the fault of the people implementing them? Or is it, as we've often learned on the show, the fault of no one group in particular, but maybe something more nuanced? Today, to help us understand this field, including the consequences of improper backups, the difficulties in getting them right, and why they continue to elude some of us, we're speaking to Matt Crape, a technical account manager at VMware. Matt. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on here. I really appreciate it. We are so happy to have you here as well. This is something that has been legitimately confusing me for the past few months because uh, I report on these things and I don't fully understand and grasp backups. But when I find things like that, I find, hey, this company had them and yet they still had to pay. That's just a moment where you ask, what's going on there? So I wanted to start actually at the impact here so that audiences can understand why what we're talking about is important. And so 
I know this is kind of broad here, but but what are the consequences of not properly backing up your organization? Well, at a high level, it depends, right? I mean, there's obviously lots of risks to the organization. You've kind of got the traditional stuff. You know, you might lose some data that might relate to losing revenue. You might have systems that are down. So it's not even a matter of the data that's not there that you care about. It's the fact that you can't use your systems. You need those back up and running. You know, as things get more and more connected to the internet these days, you know, things are more and more intertwined. You don't have backups, your system's down. Next thing you know, like you mentioned, maybe you can't go buy groceries at the grocery store. So there could be some real world issues that go on, you know, if you don't have proper backups. But there's also issues like, say you have backups and, you know, it's taking you too long to get things restored or, you know, the backups aren't running. There could potentially be legal and compliance requirements involved with that as well. And then that opens an entire door to things like, what about restores, you know? We don't need to deal with this a whole heck of a lot in our day-to-day lives, but organizations need to deal with things like GDPR, right? That whole right to forget things, forget people, so to speak. So not having backups done properly in your organization, at the end of the day, it's a huge risk. And that risk could be manifested in many different ways. You mentioned GDPR right there, and I wanted to follow up on it immediately because I really like data privacy regulation, which is a thing to admit. Um, and are there laws, are there regulations that require backups? Or is it, are there laws that like recommend at a certain level of organization? Help me understand that. Absolutely. So for example, the GDPR, part of that is the right for you know, the citizen within the EU to say, hey, you know, I don't want you to have any, any of my personal information. You know, as a company, you're supposed to say, okay, cool, you know, we're, we're going to get rid of a lot of that personal information. And of course, this is all high level. There's lots of, you know, intricate details in there and whatnot. But at the end of the day, say you're the organization, I reach out to you and say, hey, you know, I want you to forget who I am. What do you do about those backups that you've had up until this point? All those backups still have my data in there. What if you restore that data? How do you ensure that the data that you're restoring kind of leaves my data out so that you don't violate those rules that are put in place. I mean, that, that's just one example. You get data locality as well. You know, a lot of organizations back things up to the cloud. There are export rules associated with that. You know, what if you're a citizen of the EU and the organization's backing up your personal information to some data center in the US, right? Are there implications to that? So data privacy in of itself is a whole big topic that requires a lot of planning when it comes to backup. It's not just a matter of backing things up and forgetting about them. I am so glad that like we've already gone down this rabbit hole, right? Because uh, my next question was simply, you know, like we hear more and more often that backups are, like I said, at the top of the show, they're a solution to ransomware, at least one of the things that someone should be doing to prevent or protect or better recover from a ransomware attack. And my question was, okay, but do the consequences of improper backups, do they go beyond just ransomware? And it sounds like already, yes, they do. Like there's a lot of intersections here for consequences. Can you talk about more of those? What else are we talking about? How broad is this world? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, backups being used for combating ransomware attacks, you know, that's relatively new. You, know, you could go back to the 70s, 80s. You, you would hear about organizations backing things up to tape and shipping them off site somewhere, potentially a different city to recover 
that lost data. But yes, there's a lot of real world issues. Say you're a healthcare provider, right? And you get hit with something, whether it's ransomware, whether, you know, a bolt of lightning hits your data center. If that data is gone, you know, you better make sure you have good backups that you can restore quickly because you might have someone, you know, a, a patient somewhere where you don't have the records all of a sudden as we shift to much more of a paperless type of environment. Same holds true for things, you know, think about things like the stock market, right? Could you imagine if all of a sudden something went wrong there, you know, end of the trading day, stock market closes and somebody realizes, hey, you know what, we have a problem. We need to restore our systems to the end of the day. Can we do that before markets open tomorrow morning, right? It's definitely something that can have some very real world consequences if it's not taken care of properly. Yeah, I love that stock market example because it it does bring it into just such a, a real world feeling. Back onto ransomware though, as I was saying, we've actually spoken to folks about this. We've spoken to someone on this show about ransomware and about backups that didn't work. And the stories I've heard, right, those are coming from smart, like well-trained, well-educated people. And yet these same smart folks are discovering that their backups don't work during a time of crisis. And it gets to the main question that I had here, which is what makes backups so hard? How is it that there can be so many times that we hear that a backup was configured incorrectly or it or it just wasn't enough to recover? So I am sure there's a ton of things, but let's start somewhere. What does make them so difficult? Well, uh, this could be a whole workshop session, <laughs> but at a high level, I think what makes it so difficult is that people think that's so easy, right? You just say, oh, I need a copy of this data. You know, set it and forget it. We're used to walking into stores and seeing USB hard drives and they say, oh, just plug this into your laptop and I'll back everything up. In a lot of people's minds, that's backups, which, yeah, it's a copy of your data, but then you need to start thinking about things like, okay, does it do versioning, right? What if I don't need to restore the latest version? What if I need something from three months ago? Can I do that? Is that backup physically safe? You know, if I have a fire in my house or a theft or somebody breaks in, they could just walk out with that hard drive. Yeah, it's still technically a backup. I don't control it anymore. I think one of the biggest issues is folks don't actually test and validate their backup, right? Even though the backups report says, yes, this ran successfully, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're able to restore it successfully. Not to age myself too much, but I'm old enough where, you know, when I got into IT, I was in charge of the tape rotations where we were. You know, I had to take care of those every day. And I remember there was a very specific piece of software that was just notorious for, yep, you know, I, I basically ran my job. I didn't get any errors. But it didn't do things like check the medium to see, can I actually restore those files? Are those files in a usable state? Um, so why do backups fail? Or why can't people successfully restore from backups all the time? I mean, lack of testing is absolutely a huge one. Quite often, people don't actually back things up properly. Databases, for example, you typically can't just grab a copy of the data because there's so much going on in flight. You need to typically momentarily pause that database to capture everything that's in memory and then back that up as well. Otherwise, you might end up in an uh, unusable state. Also, things like just security, whether it's physical security in the sense of, are these backups? You know, If you're 
storing them to tape, storing them to hard drive, even storing them to a data center somewhere? Are they physically secure or could someone just walk out with it? Or on the flip side, it's also a matter of, you know, the insider threat. You know, if somebody on the inside of your organization has access to these backup files, they essentially hold the keys to the kingdom at that point. Not to go on too much of a tangent, but I remember the first time I saw Rogue One, the Star Wars movie, the thought occurred to me, you know, the, the entire Death Star blowing up and all that, that's because they broke into that, you know, star base or whatever you want to call it. And they were able to call up the Death Star plans from a backup, right? Had, you know, the Empire had better physical security for their backup archives, you know, Star Wars franchise would be markedly different. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard that before. You know, that's great. In a world where, I've, you know, you hear so many things about Star Wars in terms of like people, like there's the whole thing, right? We're going to go down a tangent. I'm sorry. There's the whole thing, you know, about like, oh, you know, is destroying the Death Star, is that an act of terrorism? Because, you know, are the is everyone on that Death Star, are they, are they committed to to doing evil, you know, where they're just regular folks who had families on it, stormtroopers. And that's like deep down the why are we talking about this kind of Star Wars hypotheses and the fact that we managed to get backups into the uh, into into the Star Wars universe is fantastic. I am thrilled about it. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to use it. <laughs> so <laughs> go for it. <laughs> but before we switch tangents, I do have to say, as far as the Death Star blowing up, I always felt really bad for those tiny little, almost like Roomba like robots that you see going around. Yeah. You no, know, they're, yeah. they're just kind of doing their job, but <laughs> poor little fellas. <laughs> yeah, they just kind of zip around. I know what you mean. And they have the little antenna coming up. Exactly. And we are we are made to enjoy droids, you know, they're lovable in the universe anyways. Okay. Um, going back to backups, you mentioned that there were quite a few things, obviously, that, that folks had to consider, right? There's versioning, there's the physical safety of it, there's the fact that testing and validation itself is, is a, something that you have to go through, and there's, of course, the sort of a, the misunderstanding that, that it's simple, you know, um, I, I know that consumer solutions for backing up, like when I was in college, were very much like you said. They were like, just plug this thing in. Plug this thing in and your personal machine is backed up. But an organization has a lot more machines. And so can you help me just understand, can you lead me through what a modern day, like medium-sized company would have to go through to properly back up their systems? Sure. Once again, this could be a whole other workshop and a lot of organizations. This is, you know, an ongoing living process that gets evaluated because it's something that does require attention. Sounds silly, but the first thing you need to do is understand what a backup is. So, you know, we've talked about copying data, but that's not the same as saying, oh, I've got two hard drives in the server set up in RAID, you know. If one disk fails, the other is still there. That's not a backup because if you delete the file on one disk, it's just going to be replicated right to the other disk right away. That it's a redundancy. It's not a backup. So you know, step zero, let's call it, is actually understand what a backup is, what its purpose is, and what you're trying to achieve with it. Uh, if we were to say what's step one, that'd really be a matter of figuring out what it is you do need to back up. Right? Understanding the difference between backing up data 
versus backing up an application versus backing up service. So what I mean by that is, you know, if I'm backing up data, I might back up a database, but that actual database file isn't going to do much good for me if I don't actually have the database server up and running as well, which would be the application. Okay, so now I'm backing up the application, which is a database server. I've got multiple copies of the actual database data. Cool, that's all fine and dandy. If I'm running like an e-commerce site, then I still have like a web portion involved that would be reading back these database servers. So at a high level, figuring out, okay, what am I looking at here? Am I just looking at the end data and is that enough? Or do I need to look at things kind of more holistically as a service? Think into the whole fun of you know dependency mapping as well. Okay, I've got this e-commerce site that runs on the service. You know, I've got the web server, I've got the database server, the data on it. What else does it depend on? Do I need an authentication server somewhere that I need backup as well? DNS servers, email servers. So you could very, very quickly kind of increase your footprint of what you're actually backing up. Right. And it's really important to understand what it is you're trying to achieve. Right. After that, you also have to figure out, okay, well, you know, how often am I backing this up? Am I able to back up? You know, a lot of places will say right off the hop, yeah, let's, you know, back it up continuously or, you know, back it up every day. Well, there might be performance issues with that as well. You know, if you're running backups during the day, Maybe it'll have a negative effect on your infrastructure and it'll slow everything else down because you're sending all this bandwidth or you're stealing all this performance for your backups. Then, of course, you have to have somewhere to store these backups, you know, especially in organizations, mid to large you know, enterprise size organizations. This is a lot of data because you have to figure you're, you're backing up a good chunk of your production, if not all of it. You're storing multiple copies of it. I mean, these copies might go on for days, weeks, months, maybe even years. So there's obviously that cost that's associated with that. And the cost tends to be one of the hardest ones to kind of drive through, especially to business leaders. A lot of business leaders kind of treat backups as, you know, insurance. It's that type of thing where 90, you know, 99% of the time we don't need it. And it just seems like money that we're pouring down the drain. But it's for those occasions when you do need it and it could pay off in spades. When, you know, prior to being a, a TAM at VMware, I'd come from the customer side, you know, as a IT manager, as a system administrator. And that money conversation was always the hardest part. And I always kind of turned the conversation around to risk management in the sense of, hey, how much downtime can we afford for this specific server? If we've got 300 employees sitting there not being able to do something, what's the cost of that versus the cost that I'm asking to store backups for the next three years? So you, you kind of turn it around. A lot of business folks like to talk in dollars like that. If you're able to put a dollar figure to it, that's important because that could also help drive the decision of, hey, you know what? Turns out that thing's actually not that valuable. We'll just back it up once a week. So, I mean, at a high level, those would be the points where I would start off right and you may have noticed i haven't even talked software you kind of have to define what you're going back up to find a piece of software that fits along with those that'd be a good fit for what you're trying to do yeah there were there's a bunch of things i want to get into there and software we are going to return to but one of the things i thought was interesting is there's the money conversation right and that's that's true i think of every it 
like role, you know, at a certain point is that you have to prove the dollars of your job, which is frustrating and it's difficult and it seems like everyone has the same thing. Um, but what I was interested in is it sounds like that's the first time I've heard that that's also that's a human difficulty. Like that's not that's not just that the process, right? The scenarios of implementing backups and testing, but you have to, it, it sounds like you have to prove them. Am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. If I, you know, back, you know, in my previous role, if I went to the manager and said, hey, I need a hundred thousand dollars for backup, you know, they, they would just scoff at me and say, well, how often have we actually had to essentially use that much storage, you know, for backups? When's the last time we had to restore a backup that was more than like three days old and stuff like that? And at that point, as the IT manager, that is my responsibility to say, just because it hasn't happened before, doesn't mean it won't happen now. Going back to the whole ransomware, I mean, you know, five or six years ago, you'd hear stories about it here and there, you know, but it was one of those things that always seemed to happen to other people. I mean, these days, I'm willing to bet by and large that the minority of businesses are the ones who haven't been hit by ransomware yet. Yeah, I would take the same chance there. Something else I wanted to get into is um, everything you were saying, the level of granularity, the level of decisions you can make, even to the point, like you said, like you're having conversations of, okay, well, maybe this thing is only backed up once a week or once a month, but, but this data gets backed up more regularly. And that level of granularity to me sounds like this is a huge job. And it sounds to me like this is something that if one person is doing this for an organization, I wish them the best. And I want to know how big are the teams that take this on and how long does this actually even take to implement this process? I mean, you know, once again, obviously it varies depending on the size of the environment and, you know, regulations, how long do you even have to keep this stuff? You know, as far as team sizes, I mean, even that you could definitely argue that's a risk in of itself. If you've only got one backup admin, you know, and get the whole hit by a bus, or you know, I prefer to think of it as that person wins the lotto, they're gone. <laughs> right? What what good is your backups at that point if all of a sudden you've got all these things and nobody knows how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Even worse if they were encrypted for security purposes, but nobody has a decryption key. Right. So as part of all this, it's not even just a matter of making sure that you're capturing everything from the backup perspective that you need. It's also, you have to make sure that you have a process defined from the business perspective, right? Who's handling what? Where's the documentation for this? You know, do we have, <laughs> do we have backups for our backup people? So forth and so forth. I've seen teams of all sizes for, you know, one admin for a small business. Sometimes I'll see one admin for enterprise, you know, large utility companies or something. On the flip side, sometimes I'll see they'll have a team of five or six admins, and all they really do is backup, and they usually bundle storage in with that as well, right? Because backups are probably, once again, one of the most storage-heavy workloads in the environment because there's just so much data that's got to sit somewhere. On that, because you were mentioning it earlier and you mentioned it right now, um, I was super curious about that too. Where does this get stored? I imagine companies choose their own place to store it, but do folks do a hybrid? as well? Like, are, are there some things that get put on tape because they're considered deemed worthy of tape <laughs> and some get put to the cloud? How does that work? Yeah. So one of the most common approaches is you write stuff to, you know, disk or, you know, if you've got enough storage, like a large disk array, 
within your data center, let's say, that achieves a couple of things, right? It keeps it close, so you're able to retrieve it or send it there fairly quickly. It's not going out over the internet where you might have slower connections, potentially a security aspect involved, but quite often folks will keep it there for a predetermined amount of time. You know, typically I see at least seven weeks. More commonly, I see about you know 30 days-ish, sometimes a bit longer. But the idea is that that is the most likely data that would need to be restored. You know, I've seen stats over the years, you know, things like, oh, 90% of data restores come from a backup within the last seven days. Because quite often when we're going to backups, we find that we need them relatively quickly. But of course, there's situations where we may not realize that we need these backups till a significant amount of time has passed. One month, six months, you know, three years. So what a lot of organizations do, and sometimes it's, you know, a mandate, you know, some sort of law that requires that they retain this information, is yes, yeah, so they'll maybe ship it off on tape. You know, we call that cheap and deep storage because as relatively slow and annoying as tape can be, it's relatively cheap for how much storage it can hold. So they might send off on tape, which brings up the whole aspect of having a good catalog, a good record to know what's actually on each tape. Another very popular option is sending it off to the cloud. There's all sorts of various cloud services available for storage, mm -hmm. all sorts of uh, different tiers, performance levels. I mean, if you're looking at something to store, you know, hundreds and hundreds of terabytes or petabytes of data, good chance that you'll never even look at it. You know, you'll probably just find the, some of the cheapest, lowest performing storage that you can find, you know, in a secure manner and just stuff all there. Otherwise, you'd be paying through the nose for years and years and years for performance storage devices that you just wouldn't get that recoup or that cost back on. It just wouldn't make sense. We are going to get to software. I promise this. Um, but I have another question, which is, is there something that you've seen in, in your years of experience that is like a common pitfall in setting up backups? Like the thing that is like, oh, oh, remember this, remember this, don't, don't forget this. Is there such a thing like that? By and large, the most common issue I see is folks not testing their backups, right? And that could be anything from the job says that it rang, you know, properly, but you actually check the tape and you find that the tape is blank. And you say, you know, like, well, what's going on? Right? It might be a matter of maybe the backup job, you didn't configure it properly. And all of a sudden it's just writing like one file to tape versus the actual backup file. Right. So you, you have this expectation that that data is there, but it's not until you need it. it. Might be a matter of not knowing how to properly configure the backup job. You know, I mentioned earlier things like database backups. Quite often they need to be taken in a very specific manner. Same thing with like Microsoft Active Directory. We need to do these application aware type of backups. But if you don't know that and you're setting the job up incorrectly, you might go to do a restore and find out that, hey, you know what? These things aren't, you know, actually on my backup. Another very common one is people just assuming that the backup job is running, right? So I've been talking about seeing an alert or uh, a report saying that it ran successfully. It's not uncommon to hear about folks who just don't check the status ever. You know, they'll check it first couple of days and then it gets old, right? So they stop paying attention to it or they turn off the notifications because it's just been running fine or whatever reason. You go do a restore and you find out, oh, this thing hasn't ran in six months. So, you know, like I said, by and large, the most common issue that I've seen is just the lack of testing. 
And that would solve so many issues, right? And testing means doing a full restore, right? It's not a matter of even using the software to validate that there's data on there. It's like, no, you, you have to do a full-on test. Take you know, a machine, take some data, take a service, whatever you're backing up, and try to do a full restore to you know some other environment where it's not going to impact things. But you want to do a full test. All of this stuff that we've been talking about, there is software to help folks do it, right? There is a backup software. I don't know much about this field. And so I wanted to get your understanding here. Is it a crowded field? Are there a few providers that, you know, are, are the juggernauts? Um, what, what does it look like? And, and how, does someone, how does someone choose someone, right? How does someone choose a vendor? Well, a lot of the time, cost is a huge factor, right? At the end of the day, businesses are in business to make money. And so there's no doubt that that often dictates part of the decision. Where you know these software companies stand out is what's the value that they could deliver. So you know, as I started off saying, backup is essentially just a copy of the data, right? Yes, that's true. But then you need to think about all those extra bells and whistles. I mentioned tape earlier. You know, if you've got a tape library with ten thousand tapes in there you better have a good way of knowing which tape you actually need. Otherwise, you're just going to be roaming around down the halls of this data center trying tape after tape until you find the right one. So yes, there's multiple software or some software hardware vendors that do backup. Typically, we see them sort of in different tiers. You kind of have the large enterprise ones, you know, lots of components. They'll have weeks and weeks or months of just design. Right. So we're not even talking about the whole business. What are we backing up? It's more, this is how we have to deploy things within your data center. And you've got a lot of, let's call them mid-market ones that might overlap you know, with the enterprise ones. There's quite a few players there. And then you'd have what I would sort of call the entry-level ones. And those will include things like you know, buying that USB hard drive and there's a little piece of software on there to do the backup. You know, once again, it's going to be fairly simple do a file copy. It might have some versioning in there, but that's about all you're going to get for that. As far as bells and whistles, going back to, you know, I was saying earlier about back in the day when I still had backup on tape, one of the features in there was, hey, test this backup for me. And at the time, it was really a matter of, can I read the entire tape, right? Which really isn't a, a good backup test. It's just a matter of saying, yeah, the tape is okay. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not checking the data. When I was an IT manager, one of the products I loved at the time was Veeam. And the reason for that is they had this feature called Sure Backup, where at the end of the job, it would actually essentially do a full restore in a you know, sort of um, fenced off environment. It would say, okay, you backed up these machines. I'm going to bring them all back up and actually make sure they're up and running and test to make sure that they're up and running. And you can put in you know, your own custom tests in there as well to say, okay, I have an Active Directory machine. I want to make sure that's listening on the proper ports. I have a web server that was part of this. You know, I want to make sure it's responding and so forth and so forth. So to me, that was huge because that was a whole other aspect of the backup process that I didn't need to take care of anymore. That, that was being done for me. I wanted to go back to something you said where in seeing you know, that testing and validation doesn't happen as often as it should and that some of the other problems are that some folks just don't know. Like some folks just don't know what they're supposed to be doing. 
they don't know the, the intricacies of it. And what I want to ask is, where do those folks find help? You know, it, it's so hard, like the, you know, like the big problem. I used to be just like a full-time journalist. And like the big problem we always had is people don't know what they don't know, right? They're not going to seek out what they don't know. And so how do you solve that problem here? Like where people just don't know how to do something that is most beneficial for their organization? Personally, I learned a lot by asking questions. So, you know, I mentioned Veeam, they got a community forum. You could go in there and you can ask questions. Some of their staff may respond, but quite often it's just other users who respond as well. A lot of the other backup vendors have similar type things. A lot of the backup vendors also have their own conferences. Veeam has one, Rubrik has one, Commvault has one. They're another large backup vendor. So, you know, a bit more of a formal approach as you can attend these conferences. You know, these days are all virtual, but a lot of them, I think, are planning going back to physical conferences at some point. But the, the benefit of those is not only do you kind of get like the, let's call them professionals from the companies that are doing presentations and whatnot, you're also typically, you know, amongst a bunch of other users, right? So those are the great times to have those conversations where you say, Oh, yeah, you know, I love this product, but, you know, feature X drives me nuts and you might just happen to sit next to someone and says, oh, yeah, we had that problem. Here's how we solved it. And, of course, you know, you got lots of blog posts out there. But, you know, if you find that you're really in a tough spot, maybe it's mission critical. You're trying to do a restore. You're at your desk and things aren't working. Hopefully you have some sort of support contract with whatever backup software you went with. Um, failing that, you know, assuming it's one of the larger ones, chances are you could probably find some local consultant who is versed in these. A lot of these backup vendors do offer their own certifications. And you might say, well, you know, a certification for using backup software. A lot of them are actually more focused towards like the whole architecture. You know, how many proxy servers do I need? How many backup hosts do I need? And so forth and so forth. So the actual backup and restore portion of these certifications is actually relatively small compared to the rest of the course. I wanted to wrap up here and ask, and this is something we, we ask so many of our guests, right? When something isn't running as smoothly as it should, or if something is downright bad, <laughs> um, we ask like, what does it take to fix it? Right. And, and I wonder if there's something we can do, like uh, there's a broader community, either that's the backup community which I learned is a thing, you know, just right now, you said there's conferences. There's a backup only podcast, which I learned about while <laughs> looking, you know, to, to do this episode. Many well wishes to them. That is very niche. But, you know, they got someone, they got me. <laughs> and so the question again, right, is what do we do to, ma to make things better? Like, how do we fix it so that so that the problems that we're seeing, right, where someone has backups and it's, it's not protecting them from the thing they think it's going to protect them from to prevent those situations from happening. How do we get there? Better education in a nutshell. March 31st is actually World Backup Day. So Didn't know a lot that. Of the... I had no idea about that. <laughs> Better education. So, there we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a, a lot of backup vendors will usually do something for that day. Right. Of course, you're going to get some marketing stuff in there and whatnot. But it really was designed as a, hey, you know, like understand what backups are and why they are important. At the end of the day, though, unfortunately, a lot of folks likely won't realize how important backups are until they need them. Right. And you're usually not in a very good situation at that point. 
a lot of us have been spoiled with things like our iPhones. You know, you can turn on automatic backups to iCloud. iCloud's doing all the magic in the background. They're doing the versioning. They're keeping track of the storage, all that sort of stuff. Going back to what I was saying earlier, you know, it, it's almost too easy, right? We've made things so easy that you just don't even consider it. The folks who are the backup admins, a lot of them have been burned so many times that they know the importance, right? It's unfortunately the folks who aren't necessarily backup admins, maybe they're getting into their first role, maybe they're just tasked with this responsibility, but they really don't understand the importance of it. Those are the folks where you kind of really, we need to work on that education. At the end of the day though, I think a lot of people think backups are boring. There's no real good way to engage people on a topic that they think is boring until they need it. Gosh, yeah, that's so true. I mean, it's so unfortunate, right? There's nothing we can do about it. I mean, well, you know, I shouldn't be so fatalistic. There are things we can do about it. That's what we're asking. That's what we're trying to find out. But but you're right that if someone sees something as boring, it's so much harder to move the needle on it. And I think the only time that needle does move is is when they see consequences. And, you know, we are seeing those consequences right now. We're seeing, you know, again, ransomware taking down organizations that have backups, but it has to happen a lot. Like it, it just had like before I think people really start to go like, oh, this is a thing that, that we really have to pay attention to. There was one final thing I thought that was important too, that we brought up a little bit, like you said, those, those large enterprise backup providers, actually so many of the months of what they're doing is designing it. And one of the things you said is, you know, people forget to test and validate and or they start testing and validating and then they stop, you know, like they, they just forget after a couple of months. And so it sounds like good backups also require good policies. Like it requires like writing a plan that says we're going to keep doing this. And I wonder how much of the equation is that as well? Having a policy in place that stays in place. Absolutely. Somebody who I know they used to work for a school board, actually. And as part of their policy, they were, were required to test their backups, get things back up and running, and actually take like a screenshot proving that things are up and running. It was, for lack of a better term, a boring and mundane task. But the business owners, you know, the, the folks who basically ran this organization, the school board, they knew the value in this, right? They, they understood that yes, this is boring, you know, it seems mundane. And if somebody who's outside of IT finds out we're paying someone to do this, you know, because it might take like an hour, two hours, whatever, they'd probably say, what are you doing? You know, you're wasting your money. But, it, you know, at the same time, it's refreshing to know that an organization understands the value behind that. I mean, I would argue that, you know, if you want to find out how much, you know, how valuable is your data, you know, or more specifically, where is your most valuable data? There's probably no one in the organization better than the backup admin who'd be able to point those things out for you, right? They'll have the best lay of the land to say, yeah, this data over here, we protect it super hard because X, Y, and Z, right? Maybe it's impacting sales or who knows, right? And they might say that data over there, we back that up once a week because, you know, that only gets touched every four days or who knows, right? Whatever the reason is. But I bet you they would have insights into the entire organization's data that no one else would have. That's how I'm going to think of backup admins from now on, right? As data actuaries <laughs> and just say, <laughs> like, this is the cost of this and this is why we input that. You know, just a thought to all of the folks out there, just to try it out on the business card. It might actually sound more boring now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're not helping. Right? <laughs> That is all I had today. I just wanted to thank you again for being on today's show. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for reaching out. This was a real blast. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we bring you another story about VPNs. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at www.blog.malwarebytes.com. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show. <laughs>